0: Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kaye, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Hello everyone and welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host Chris K. This week it's episode 37 and we're going to the land of the metal gods and taking on Judas Priest, screaming for vengeance versus defenders of the faith. Both albums are classics, but only one will come out on top tonight.
1: Along with our debate, Kenneth has more rusty metal and I've got a new freshly forged pick for you. We're also picking the best of the best with this week's Big Four Judas Priest songs, so be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear which songs made our list. If you missed last week, we picked our Big Four Inflame songs, so make sure to click subscribe and download the episode to check that out. Also, be sure to go to our Instagram at debating metal and leave a comment about your Big Four every week.
0: But before we begin, it's review time again. Last week on episode 36, we discussed two classic melodic death metal albums with In Flames, Colony vs. Clayman. To check out what we had to say, download or stream us on all the major podcast platforms and do us and yourself a huge favor and click the subscribe or follow button on your PC, your phone, or however you listen to podcasts and you'll get our newest episode on your favorite device every Friday. So tell the masses that Debating Metal is your favorite podcast and get your friends and family to subscribe. And as always, don't forget to rate us or leave a review.
1: We also want to read your opinions on these or any of our other topics, so if you agree with us or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for some rusty metal. Kenneth, what did you pull out of the old rust bucket this week?
0: <laughs> All right, so let me let me begin by clarifying some things first, Okay. Rusty Metal, uh, the, the, the timeline to pick a, an album for Rusty Metal has always been kind of a precarious thing for me because I don't know how far, to, well, I know how far back I can go, but I don't know how recent I can make it. And you and I kind of had a discussion about this, but I still really felt uncomfortable about certain things. And so today I kind of defined it with 25 years. An, al- an album has had to have been out at least 25 years for me to consider it part of the rusty metal list and so because for whatever reason something like Slipknot's first album which is 20 years old just or or 21 just just does not feel old to me it does not feel like it, be, it would be something that it would be considered rusty metal or Disturbs first album or something like that or even Godsmack's first album those things don't seem that old to me. So I I said, you know what? It's going to have to be 25 years. That's the cutoff. And so this next album falls well within that category. It is Saigon Kick and their debut album, Saigon Kick. It was released in 1991 on Third Stone Atlantic Records. And it was produced by Michael Wagner. And it it was recorded at Scream Studios in Studio City, California. Okay, so... Saigon Kick was a Miami band. Uh, they were basically a local band to me at the time when I was living there. So it was really cool because I actually got to see them once in a club as a club band. They were they had just gotten signed. Uh, I believe their album wasn't even out yet, and they were having like a premiere party, or they were getting ready to do a premiere party, and or something like that. And they played this killer show inside. You know, that I think. I think the way the guy mentioned it to me is that the Button South, which is the club we were at, holds about 2,000 people, and they I think they shoved about 2,500 people into that place that night because it was packed to the gills. So this debut album is one of my favorite all-time albums. For me, top to bottom, it's got 14 songs. I mean, I think 13 out of the 14 are killer. One of them is kind of like a ballad that I'm not really into, but... It, it's easily still a good song for some people this band was way ahead of their time i know i introduced them to you a while ago and you mm. kind of got into some of the songs and and, and and actually put some in your playlist if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah I, I like stuff off of both the the first two albums right to be honest
0: <clears throat> and so this album to me it's it's heavy it's melodic there's tons of vocal harmonies uh, at the level almost beatlesque songs like new world and what do you do month of Sundays and ugly that's they those songs show the hard and heavy side of the band where songs like what do you say down by the ocean and my life show off the harmonies and their their melodic side and then they have songs like colors and come take me now which show off their softer side i mean this this album has it all so it's really really good album i love this album uh and then you know if you can get your hands on it, which I believe is still available, buy it. I mean, get, do yourself a favor. You will not be disappointed by getting this album. I know you listen to it. So anybody out there who, who you know, takes our recommendations relatively seriously, this is a really good album. Jason Beeler is the guitar player. Uh, he currently tours as Jason Bieler and he does some other stuff, and he's friends with... Um, uh, Jason McMaster, I think is his name, the, the guy from uh, Teasem, not Teasin', that's his name of his song, Dangerous Toys. And Matt, him and Matt Kramer have kind of made up and they're still friends and they, they've done on and off reunions of Saigon Kick over the years. So get this album. Killer, killer album.
1: All right. That's, that's a pretty good pick. I, I really do like that first album. Uh, you introduced to it, me to it, I believe, last year. And uh, I've, I've been a big fan of them since, and it's really too bad that they kind of dissolve before, you know, they really hit it big. But uh, they do have a, a, a couple really good albums that are worth checking out. All right, so for my freshly forged pick this week, I picked uh, a couple singles from a band that I've been a huge fan of since the very beginning. I was a little worried because their guitarist left the band this uh, last year. And you you never know what's going to happen when that happens. You know, you have somebody that's been in the band for a long time that influences the sound, and when that changes, we've talked about this before with our when did a band lose you and, you know, things like that, where these factors can be really greatly affected by somebody, just one person leaving. So Nicholas Sundin just left uh, Dark Tranquility, and... Uh, he was replaced by a guy we've talked about a few times recently, Christopher Mott, and Johann Reinholz. two guys replacing him that have taken the role very seriously. And the new tracks that have been released for, for uh, Moment, which is their new album that's coming out this year, uh, have been fantastic. Both of them, which is uh, Phantom Days and uh, Identical to None, I, I've just already added to my playlist. I'm really enjoying them, so... Be sure to check those out. this album is coming out a little bit later this year and uh in the next couple of weeks, I've actually got some more freshly forged picks for you uh I'm excited about some stuff that's coming out next week so uh just stay tuned. We'll have more each uh for the really for about the next three weeks
0: awesome awesome i i uh heard Phantom days I thought that was pretty cool. It is definitely you know it, Top-notch stuff. I mean, I, it's hard to say because I I haven't listened to it in a few weeks. But I did listen to it when you told me to listen to it a few weeks ago, and it is really cool because I I was listening to that along with the inflamed stuff from from last week. So it is uh, definitely a very cool song. What was the name of the other song?
1: Identical to none.
0: Yeah, that one I have not heard yet. So I'll, yeah, I'll be check sure that to out. check
1: it out. It's it's so worth it. I was very pleasantly surprised when I heard you know what they're doing.
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to our main topic this week and it is Judas Priest Screaming for Vengeance versus Defenders of the Faith. And this is going to be quite the, the the fun episode I I would say because, you know, obviously everyone, you know, in metal land knows Rob Halford, the metal god and Judas Priest the band. The these are two classic albums that came out basically in their heyday. If if, if I'm not if if Screaming for Vengeance pretty much made them a household name, and Defenders of the Faith just solidified that.
1: Yeah, if, if British Steel didn't do it, then Screaming for Vengeance definitely did it.
0: Yeah, but British Steel put them on the map, got them, got them you know, worldwide recognition, and mm-hmm. then, I don't know, point of entry kind of just, I don't know, I think to me, in my in my opinion, kind of slowed down the momentum. But it at did. the same time, they had three good singles from the album so it was it wasn't like it completely killed the momentum but screaming for vengeance just took off in a in another direction and just made them superstars basically
1: yeah yeah point of entry was almost like a detour though because because it was such a softer album than what they were doing like it didn't seem like the the uphill movement it seemed like a tangent and then and then uh, Screaming for Vengeance more s- or seems more like like the logical curve upward in the metal sound. You right.
0: Know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Point of Entry was like almost like a, a tangent, uh, not tangent, a lateral promotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Screaming for Vengeance came out in 1982 on Columbia Records. It was produced by Tom Allum. Actually, both these albums were produced by Tom Allum. Both of them were recorded in Ibiza Sound Studios in Ibiza, Spain. And both albums, although mixed in different locations, were both were mixed in the Miami, Florida area. So that, that tells you exactly what was on their minds because they basically were in the lap of luxury in Ibiza and then came to the tropical warmth of Miami and put out two killer classic albums. Screaming for Vengeance starts off with the Helion and Electric Eye. I mean, you can't help but those two go together. It's just there's no ifs ands or buts about it.
1: Yeah, that, I mean the Helion leads directly into it. It's it uh, feels incomplete without Electric Eye attached to it. Um, it's not a standalone uh, I- instrumental. It's they really have to go together in a way
0: yeah exactly I mean they blend they don't there's no break in between the two songs um, you can tell the definitive start and stop but there's no like it doesn't end it just kind of the guitar chord rings into the next song or into into Electric Eye
1: yeah it, Electric Eye is, is a really good opener uh, along with the Hellion it, I guess for me I was very interested in it because you know when I first started listening to it I would read 1984 which it's kind of based on you know about something we've talked about with other bands about, you know, the the world kind of being closely monitored, your actions being uh, under scrutiny at all times, technology becoming something that, that isn't a useful thing, but, but is used against you in a way. And Electric Eye is just an awesome song, not just with lyrics and, and uh, you know, lyrical content, but with just the riffs, man. It's an awesome track.
0: Oh, I mean, this is one of their classic tracks. Halford's vocals on this are are incredible because he literally uses three different styles of vocals. I mean, he has this this um, very almost talking kind of way in the in the main verse. Then he does this like this. R- no, it's hard to say you can't say a growl but for rob halford it's it's just a rough gruffy voice
1: yeah it's a, it's a gruff sound right. to it when it, yeah yeah
0: and then he uses his regular singing voice for the for the chorus i mean it's 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 a it's a masterful piece of work by rob in terms of vocals on this song i mean it, it it's a masterclass as as they say nowadays
1: <laughs> yeah i mean he's hitting it in multiple octaves so he, he's really stretching the range of his vocals and it it's a, yeah it's Exactly what you're saying, I would say master class.
0: Yeah, and, and Glenn Tipton rips the solo on here. I mean, it's just so technically perfect, what he does. It's awesome. I mean, this song is, is it's a classic for a reason, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it still played in their set today. Yeah, it used to be their set opener, you know, obviously during those those times, and then they moved it all the way towards the, the end. It became one of those where it was a set closer, and then it was the encore opener, Mm. So it was, it, was, it was weird. So you know, now it, they play it towards the end of their show. So it it's every time you hear the the tape come in for Hellion, you know what's coming next. So it's such a cool feeling.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean it, it, the next track that comes up Riding on the Wind, it doesn't slow it down. It t- it takes it up a level. I I absolutely love Riding on the Wind.
0: Oh, this, this song is incredible. Um and and Rob's vocals on this he just puts it on a different level because he's not screaming like he does in Painkiller or Resurrection on the Halford stuff, on solo stuff. But it, it's a it's a pitch higher. It's not super clean. It's almost a scream. It's kind of weird. It's like in between his regular voice and a scream. But it's another level, and it's just it's awesome, awesome. It's,
1: yeah, and he's singing at high range the entire song. Yes. And it, it's not just that; like the the pace of the song is is breakneck, and and even like at the end, he sustains the note at a high pitch for a long time, and it really shows off just how skillful he is.
0: Yeah, this this song was pretty much the beginning of him using those that style of vocals throughout the rest of the of of Judas Priest's career, and basically up to now. I mean, he he. He didn't really do a lot of this. I mean, he did the high screaming, but this style he didn't do much before, if if at all. Uh, and so it became something that it, you know, obviously, uh, this song we're gonna we're gonna reference it again in "Screaming for Vengeance." Painkillers is, is another type of song. I can't recall some of the other songs in, on the In Between albums, but this is definitely a style that he uses more than once throughout the rest of the, the rest of the, the rest of their time.
1: Yeah, I, I think one one thing that's really like telling about the the difference in their style here is is the the sound of the guitars, the the tone that they're getting is more of like a mechanical tone. Mm-hmm, yes, that fits the vibe of the album really well. Uh, I mean, especially starting with Electric Eye, and then Writing on the Wind, that that opener uh, with the drum solo, it has kind of like this compression on it almost. It mm-hmm. just sounds like really killer, and I love the, I love the vibe of this album.
0: Yeah, the, the guitars sound extremely clean. It's weird. Obviously, the, it's a metal sound. It, they, they've got the chugging, and they've got a good tone, but the guitar solos are just so crisp and clean, mm-hmm. and oh they, yeah. they yeah. sound so clear, and they just bite right through the song. It, it's, this, that's one of the amazing things about this album. I love this. All right, so the next song is Bloodstone.
1: Yeah, Bloodstone is a, is a little bit simpler in the spectrum from the last two songs. It takes the pace down quite a bit. Uh, but, y- it, I mean, you still have Rob singing in kind of like a, not as high of a range, but he's, he's really kind of showcasing, because he, he's hitting the notes, like when he sings Bloodstone, he's, he's taking it from high to low, and he's, he's really showing his skill off here, even though it's a, a, a quite a bit simpler song.
0: Yeah, uh, again, Rob doing what Rob does. I mean, it's it's amazing how many things he's already shown off in the first three songs of this album, and he's just running the gamut of all the skills that the guy has. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he was at the peak of his career at this point. You know, the song is, uh, again, a song about the, the world's problems, and it's still relevant today, which is crazy to think about that. You know, especially in today's climate, it is still as relevant as ever. The song's got a killer riff, and KK Downing rips the solo on this one too.
1: Yeah, I mean any any time that you go back to these 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 days with you know KK and Glenn trading things off, there's just such a classic feeling about it. it there's there's something about their chemistry back then that was just so excellent. It's you know it's sad today that it, they're in the state that they're in that you know they're they're no longer uh, you know on good terms. But this is them kind of at their prime trading off solos and you can really see that there's a there's a cohesiveness here that made these albums great
0: oh yes for sure so that brings us to take these chains which is a song by a guy named bob halligan jr now i did a little bit of research on bob today leading up to this podcast and it's quite interesting i i I don't didn't read too much of details in the background uh, of his new band, but his new, the band that he currently plays with is uh, a Christian band. And he he was told, Hey, you need to either be a Christian band or be a, you know, I guess non-Christian band, you know, pop band or whatever it is, but you need to pick one. You can't cross over. And he says, look, I'm I'm just a band, or we're just a band. We play music, but you know it's going to talk about our faith. That's it, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. And he's had 39 members in the band, and something like this. Oh wow! So, so it, it, it was quite interesting to read it. Uh, it was some. It was really because uh, I believe he's an English guy, and I think he he lives in Ireland now, or something like that. I don't know. I, I didn't read the the story too deep, but. He wrote these songs. This is where he kind of has his claim to fame. He wrote these songs, and Judas Priest picked them. And we were talking about this last week on In Flames, where mm-hmm. most metal bands do their own songs. And they're, you know, they do covers. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a staple of metal bands. But in this particular situation, this isn't a cover. This is actually like they heard. i guess someone brought them the song and said hey check out this i I don't know where they heard it because i don't think it was recorded so it was one of those those publishing kind of things where they went to a publisher or you know give us a metal song type of thing i i don't know exactly the story behind it but it's not like it was an already recorded established song that they picked and covered it's really weird and
1: yeah, and he did another one on the next album. We're going to talk about
0: exactly. So it's it's one of those the one of two songs that they've done uh, with by Bob Halligan Jr. So and both of them are pretty good. The other one that we're going to talk about later is much better than this song. But this is still a killer song. It's got an interesting intro. There's a lot of reverb, a lot of echo, makes the song feel very spacious. But then once the whole band kicks in it the sound kind of goes straight back to that little drier sound that they've got they've had throughout the record the rest of the record, and the songs about a person who ran away from their relationship only be, to be tied down by the bad memories and the psychological drama uh, that's what I got out of the song,
1: yeah, I mean who can't relate to to that on some level where that they were young or or older or whatever you know, th- these things kind of happen you're you're kind of bound by the past sometimes when it comes to previous relationships whether it be friend or or you know more than that but it's definitely a relatable topic it it seems like it's kind of like the ballad of the album uh it's not a ballad per se but you know it's that it's a slower um you know it's not as exciting in in the like the epicness of the song but it's it's a very like listenable song it fits on the album and uh you know it's fine
0: yeah, it's, I mean, it's got a it's got a catchy chorus, um, you know. You it, it's it's clear and and, and listenable. Uh, nothing stands out about it, but it, they make it heavy in the chorus, just with the way the band is is just chomping at the bit on it. Another good solo from the band. So it, it's it's yeah, it's definitely nothing to write home about. But at the same time, there's something about it that definitely fits within the the context of the whole album and keeps it and, and keeps the album flowing which flows right into the song Pain and Pleasure. Uh, another relationship song. Uh, a little bit slower song. You know, okay. Yeah,
1: it's it's not one of my favorites, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a Judas Priest song. It fits with their image, you know, the leather and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's good enough. It's not my cup of tea per se, but I, I don't skip it when I listen to the album, which is always kind of like my, you know, my rating system like do I skip the song or not is it a bad song no it's uh, you know it's just, it's just a little bit slower uh, before we get to side two you know
0: right I mean the song is is, is definitely slow it's a sludgy kind of song you know which it kind of the, the the sludginess of it and the way that they, they perform it definitely goes hand in hand with the lyrics because the lyrics kind of have this little bit of an S&M connotation to it and mm-hmm. so it it definitely blends really well. It it that's the end of side one. If you well, have one, the one more
1: thing about uh-huh. the song is is even though like I said it's not super my cup of tea, but at the same time, Rob sings it with a lot of passion in the way he, way he expresses it in the song. And I've always that's I think that's what really is the tipping point for me that says like this is this is a good song. I don't need to skip it when I listen to the album. Is that it, the way he sings the song is so good.
0: Yeah, I mean you feel hi- the emotion that he's put into it because there is this definite when he when he sings pain and pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, you can feel that there's there's the, there's a bit of emotional pain in it, but at the same time he's he's you can feel him release that as he goes into the pleasure part.
1: Yeah, he says he he says pain with with a little bit of a gruffness and then and then you know, the pleasure part like he sings in a different way, a little you know, alongside with the word. So there is a, there is a, a, a emotion that carries through the song.
0: Absolutely. All right. So that ends side one. And, or if, if you have a record final, as they call it nowadays, (laughs) and (laughs) side two starts up with a bang.
1: Oh yeah. This is one of the best songs on the album. It's the title track and it's, I mean, it's killer. Um, we talked about uh, riding on the wind earlier where Rob sings and in a higher pitch well this is this is a higher pitch but with a, a, a bit of anger to it you know with a bit of a, 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 a just a little extra that makes it just I mean screaming for vengeance says it all
0: yes uh, th- this this song is probably Judas priest's heaviest song and by heavy I mean it's every. Every definition of what a heavy metal song would be is is encapsulated in that one song. It's probably the heaviest thing they did up until they did "Painkiller," because yes. "Painkiller." I, Pain I was gonna
1: I was gonna follow up with what you, you said their heaviest song. Right. I was gonna. Well, until "Painkiller." Right. Yes, I, I, exactly right. This this is t- to me like this song "Writing on the Wind," "Electric Eye," are what made them like truly metal metal.
0: Exactly. And the funny thing is, like, like Painkiller, you know, it, it is heavy, 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 heavy song. What, but, but this song, in my opinion, is more brutal than Painkiller because there's a, there's such an angriness to it that's, that there's not, a, there's not an anger to Painkiller. Painkiller is just a heavy metal song, you know, with, with the speed and the aggression. But this song is like, it's, it's angry and you feel it, you know, and there's a really roughness to it. And, I, I, and that's what is what is attractive to this song or what makes this This is like you said exactly what makes Judas Priest heavy metal and this is why they, they were heavy metal I love this song uh, I was reading a review today of this album where he, the, the person said that this album sucked and he was a Judas Priest well, they fan. suck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it was funny because he was reviewing the 30th anniversary that came out in 2012 and mm-hmm. so it was an old article but he was talking about how Defenders was his favorite album, and he loved Point of Entry, and he said that why couldn't Judas Priest write songs, or put songs on Screaming for Vengeance that were like songs from from Point of Entry? And I'm like, what is this guy listening to? You know, <laughs> I mean, he felt he literally felt like this was this was like faux metal or something like. It was kind of a weird thing. Like he felt like he was duped because he doesn't think that this album is as good as people put it. You know, he said, yes, Electric Eye was, is classic. You've Got Another Thing cl- Coming is classic, which we're going to talk about in a second. But he said that this song was particularly bad. He said there was nothing good or appealing about this song. And, I, and I'm just like, man, what what were you listening to? And what am I listening to that I don't notice what you were listening to? You know? <laughs> so, but <Way> I <laughs> I couldn't completely, I couldn't more disagree with this guy. This song is just, stellar killer awesome from beginning to end this song doesn't relent it is just in your face the whole time
1: oh yeah i mean i i don't necessarily agree with your your assessment that that it's not as brutal our painkiller's not as brutal but that being said i mean that's that's semantics is a different opi- difference of opinion um i think this song it definitely fits right alongside anything that's on painkiller it's, it's just as brutal, and it's years before. So, it, it I mean, it just kicks ass.
0: Yep. So the next song is the the staple song, the big hit, the big single, You've Got Another Thing Coming. Um, there's not a lot that we can say about this song that hasn't already been said. The, the song has been played a bajillion times on the air. The video has been played a, a bajillion times. And it is definitive... Judas Priest. This is what you know. When when someone thinks about Judas Priest, there's two there's two songs to me. You know, you've got Breaking the Law, in my opinion, and this song. People know this song. People know Breaking the Law. or they might even know Living After Midnight just because it, it's so accessible.
1: But yeah, this, I feel like it definitely fits along those two songs. I'm, you know, I'm not of the mind that I don't. I don't really get its popularity to be honest. It's an okay song. This one. It's a. Uh, Yeah, it's you know it's it's catchy, but to me, like Judas Priest, like what really makes me love Judas Priest is songs like "Screaming for Vengeance" and stuff like that. So, you know, this is this is a fine song. You know, I don't skip it, but at the same time, I don't think I'm of the consensus of the majority here, and I'm well aware of that. It's it's an okay song.
0: So it's funny, you know, this song. Remember we were talking about earlier today, and we talked about it last week, where you put an album on and there's a song that sticks out as mm-hmm. the single this yeah, is that this song this is the one this is the one, okay. this is the one yeah. <laughs> exactly this one uh there's something different about this song compared to the rest of the album again fits within the album within the context of the album but it definitely stands out it says oh, oh that's the single <laughs> you know so yeah
1: it's uh, very accessible and i think that's exactly why. Right. It, even if you're not into the like really heavy stuff, you can get into you got another thing coming. And it's it, it appeals to the masses in a way that you know, it's like angry but kind of not at the same time.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, it's it's softer, so it's it's more accessible. So Yeah, there's still there's yeah. still a
0: roughness to it. Um, Glenn yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, I I don't skip it. It's it's not really. I don't think it's on my playlist, like my big Universal playlist. But but it's definitely on my Judas Priest playlist.
0: Oh yeah, Glenn does another amazing solo on this one. Uh, I like I like the way in the video he has a laser hitting his mirror guitar pick plate, you know, his pick <laughs> guard. Yes, yeah. I, I love that how it, how it reflects off of that throughout during the solo and and afterward. So mm. it's a cu- it's a cool video. I mean, it kind of fits to some degree, but it, it's definitely still kind of weird because, you know, if this this song's about rebellion, and, and I don't see where the rebellion is in the video, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So, that leads us into the song, Fever. Man, I tell you what. If you put that thing on your headphones, you're going to have a trip, okay, if you're listening to it on headphones. The song goes back and forth, left and right, in, in and out. Until it gets to the main, the main verse, or or when the band kicks in, it's a cool song. It's one of those where I can take it or leave it type of thing.
1: Yeah, to me, this and the next track are kind of the low points of the album. They're they're kind of where the album tapers off, but it's it's not a bad song. It's just it's just not as as, as it's not one of the high points.
0: No, and it's a, it's it's a catchy song. But there's almost uh, what I wrote there. There's almost a genericness in its catchiness, mm-hmm. um, and again, yeah, it's very nothing repetitive more. T- too. Yeah, it's repetitive. You know, it's uh, the song is is about you know the feeling you get when someone who completely entrances you and becomes you, it, it, they, they, you find your soulmate. That's what this to me what I get out of the song, but. You know, it's one of those things where it's it. Again, you could take it or leave it. It's it's, you know, not the best song in the album. I get what you're saying, but I disagree with you on the last song. Devil's Child to me is is a killer song. I love that opening riff. And when the the, ban- the
1: opening riff is nice, the 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 chorus is pretty good as far as like the way Rob sing it or sings it. Yeah, overall, I like I said. I mean, I I just kind of feel feel like it's one of the songs that kind of tapers off at the end. But yeah, I mean, if if you like it, you like it.
0: I mean, in my opinion, it's one of my favorite Judas Priest songs. Um, but I, you know, I, there's a lot to me. There's a lot going on with the song. I mean, the, the song breathes with the riff and the vocals. You know, because it's it's kind of like a start-stop type of thing. So. I, I love the song. It's it's again one of my favorites. I I, I like the way it ends the album. Uh, to me to me it doesn't taper off. I mean, if it, if the side one is more of a taper than, than side two, in my opinion.
1: You know, it's funny. I it, the way I say it maybe sounds more like I guess the way I'm saying it maybe sounds a little more serious than what I mean it by tapering off. Like Judas Priest crappiest songs are still better than a lot of other bands' best songs. So, I don't feel like they're as strong, but I don't necessarily feel like they're bad. Like, I still listen to this album from beginning to end without skipping a track.
0: I gotcha. I'm with you on that. Alright, so that ends Screaming for Vengeance. That brings us to Defenders of the Faith, which came out in January of 1984, so it's almost, it's a little over a year after um Screaming for Vengeance came out again, like I said, done in Spain, recorded mixed in Miami, produced by Tom Island. So there's something on the back of the album, when you look at it, it says rising from the darkness where hell hath no mercy and the screams of vengeance echo on forever. Only those that keep the faith shall escape the wrath of the Metallion. And the Metallion is the is the front cover creature that is uh roaming you know the album basically. Very cool how they kept the same style of I guess creature is a good word. You know, it's a different creature, it's a different animal. Like, you know, we have that eagle bird thing on Screaming for Vengeance, now you have this thing. That almost well, they're bo-
1: they're bo- both by the same artist in the same style. Right. And they tie in very well together. I I always thought this this creature thing on the on the cover was a little silly but at the same time kind of really cool. I, I'd love to see, you know, a big tank, lion, you know, horned creature in reality. I think it'd be just funny.
0: Yeah. For for 1984, it fit. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the, the time period it comes out. I mean, the I think the eagle or the bird that's on, or the, I guess he's the hellion that's on Screaming for Vengeance is a, is a cooler creature, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit cooler image, but
0: yeah. Yeah, but but this one, you know, it it is what it is. That they they tied in together. That's what brings these. That's what makes these two albums kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. Um, so this album's got the same producer, but there is something definitely slicker about the way this album's recorded. They pushed the 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 the, the boundaries, I guess you could say, a little bit further when it came to this, the sound. Of this record, it still sounds really good, it still sounds really clear, but there definitely is a slicker production to, with this. And one of the things I noticed, and I noticed this when I was a young kid when I was listening to this album because you notice it on the video right away. Uh, if, you, if you're a fan of the of, of you know back then in MTV days and stuff like that, and you got to see some of these concerts, like they, they did that Judas Priest concert from, from, uh I believe it was Tennessee, so you get to see the, the the instruments that they're playing. KK and Glenn played up to this point Gibson and Fender guitars. KK was was strictly oh no, there was they, they both went back and forth, but they mostly played Gibsons or Fenders. I mean, KK had the Flying V, and Glenn had the um, the Strat as well as Gibson SG. Those were his main guitars. And the thing about Gibsons is that they have that humbucker pickup that has such a distinct and unique sound. And that was part of the Judas Priest sound. All of a sudden, they switched to Hamer guitars because Hamer gave them the custom guitars and they had a very similar style. Uh, they did an Explorer style. They did a Flying V style, but they were extreme in their points and extreme in their headstock. And it just it, almost very... Very European, very black metalish uh style of guitars that, that Hamer came up with them and it changed their tone dramatically. And to me that was noticeable because that was what I was into back in the that day. Doesn't hurt anything, but for me it was it was so noticeable. And it's weird that I that I noticed that, but that's just something I'm throwing out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit different sound. I still feel like overall they t- that the two albums tie in very well together. Um, but the, yeah, there's definitely a, a little bit different, noticeable sound.
0: Right. So, that brings us into the song number one on the album, which is "Free Wheel Burning," uh, which was the first single and video that came out. Um, the video, which apparently is on not available on YouTube at this moment is is basically a tie-in to the song i mean it's it's about racing it's about speed and the character on the on the video is playing pole position one of the original speed racer games that was uh, you know arcade games pretty cool halford is you know now he's just trying to show off the way he sings you know, he is basically by far the best singer in metal at this point, and he's just showing off. <laughs> to 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 sing as fast as he does on this song is just like, you know, he put himself on a, a, a ten levels up above the next guy.
1: You oh, know? yeah. I mean, it's like a rapid fire right in the middle, and it's just clean as well as being, you know, uh, his his pitch, you know, that distinct Rob pitch he has a, a really dynamic range on this song and it's just an awesome opener
0: yep absolutely goes into song number two which is jawbreaker and what I put here sexual innuendo run rampant
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I mean this is this is a killer song I I love the the, the pace the the drum beat picks up a, a bit more which is something a little out, out of the ordinary uh for the way that that you know dave played with the band but this is this is a little bit faster paced it fits the song really well if it it's the pacing of the album really well and it just it's 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 very similar to the way that electric eye goes into riding on the wind there's a little bit faster paced from there so it's it's a nice uh crescendo there
0: by Dave, are you referring to Dave Holland, Captain Stiff Arms?
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave was a unique drummer. I, I personally don't know how he lasted that long in Judas Priest, because for playing that kind of music, he, to me, was very, very stiff. Um,
1: he, he fit, to me, on these two albums. After they they kind of departed with Turbo and then Ram It Down, we talked a little bit about this, but... I I almost feel like he was just he was you know dragging the sound down at that point in their career. Uh, it wasn't just him, the songwriting wasn't as good, but by the time they got to Painkiller there was just no way he could continue in the band.
0: I think I think if they had Scott Travis on Freewheel Burning or on Screaming for Vengeance, oh those two songs would be completely no, different.
1: Yeah. Oh even, yeah. Even
0: even better. <laughs> so
1: Oh, for sure.
0: What what I really like about this song is uh at the beginning, when um, Rob says "ticking like a time bomb," how Dave starts uh, hitting the hi hat is is it's accentuated, and I really like the way that 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 comes across. I mean, that's a it's a very killer detail uh, that that some people may or may not notice, but I I I think it's very uh, significant to the song because of that. It's that a,
1: part. it's that kind of humor the drummers have, you know, where they're they're they'll tie things in. And it fits so well, and it's it's almost like a subliminal thing,
0: right? All right, so then we get into "Rock Hard Ride Free." Um, I like this song a lot. Uh, there's there's just a lot of harmonies on the album. On excuse me, there's a lot of harmonies on the song. It's got a catchy chorus. Uh, there's a lot to like about this song. It's it, I really enjoy this song a lot.
1: It's an it's an anthemic song. Pretty pretty standard for Judas Priest. Um, You know, it's it's a fun song. It's uh, you know nothing that stands out to me, but at the same time, it's it's enjoyable to sing along to. Kind of like a uh, yeah, I want to rock and roll all night or something like that, where it's just it's a really recognizable uh, um, chorus and just fun to sing along to.
0: Right, like you said, anthemic, and that's it, a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the Sentinel and the final song on side one.
1: Uh, I I love this track.
0: You love this track, and, and here's the thing. I told you a while ago, for whatever reason, I ignored this track when I was younger. Not because I didn't like it. It was one of those things where I got up to rock hard, right, free, and I started you know the record again, <laughs> or the CD later on. It's it's um is one of those things where I, I didn't really get into it for for one reason or another, and you know later years later I come to realize man, it's a pretty damn good song. Um, I listened to it again today, and I realized there's part of the reasons why is that there's there's certain parts where it just it's it it doesn't really connect with me. And it's not necessarily about I guess maybe is the the way uh the, he phrases the the verses or something. I don't know. There's something there that's disconnected, but the scent the chorus is cool and I like that part a lot. And I think it's it's longer than it needs it needs to be.
1: But, I 100% disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um uh I know. I'm just laughing because it's <laughs> funny. Um so what this is these are the kind of songs with Judas Priest that I really love this is this is the same kind of thing that you get in the ripper um you get later on with the, the painkiller songs these are the songs like I I love when when Rob would create these characters that would tell a story through a song you know you got the sentinel that that's you you're hearing a story uh, of this, this character throughout the lyrics of the, of the track this is what I really love about what, what Rob does more so than the anthemic tracks more so than the ones that are just kind of um, you know a love ballad or something like that when he when he's writing about a character this is what really gets me into Judas Priest and that's I think why I love Painkiller so much why I love the later stuff with uh, Angel of Retribution it it's the same stuff that carries on with uh what's the one that came out after Nostradamus uh
0: oh um uh Redeemer of Souls
1: Redeemer of Souls the same kind of thing i love these kind of mythic hero characters that he creates i
0: i agree with you on that and i i i love that too this for some reason there's something there's a disconnect between me and this song in the middle that i don't i don't know what it is Again, I like the chorus. It's a good song. I'm not going to take anything away from it. Um, there's there's a disconnect between me and the song for some reason. Fair enough. There you go. All right, so that brings us to side two, and uh, or song number five on your CD or on your list of on Spotify <laughs> <laughs> or or however you consume your digital music. Um, it brings us to Love Bites, and. The, I think the whole si- second side is, is just got a lot of controversy, <laughs> uh, and I think that Judas Priest was up for the task at this point. Um, but it, it's just one of those things where Rob has got a lot of things going on with these songs, and and there's there's a lot of urges that he needs to get out. <laughs> it, it's this, this is going to be the second song that's really uh, out there when it comes to innuendo and and things that he's feeling. I like the song, but it's weird. It's almost like the song's about a, a sexual predator, and you just don't know if if you should be angry because it's a sexual predator or you should basically let yourself go to the, to the, uh, what's the word I'm trying to, to come up with? To let yourself go to the lust and desire that you may feel throughout this song. It's pretty cool.
1: Um I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I can see that that point of view. I just thought it was another one of those songs that was kind of like... Um, along the lines of pain and pleasure, you know, kind of like that riding the edge of of danger, you know? Yeah, so it I is. I guess I can see your perspective on that one. It is, um, but this,
0: this particular character in this one is a little bit more... He He, he sings it as almost as the antagonist because this this guy is, you know, he has gone into the room and now, you know, he's watching over the person while they sleep, you know, but then... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so, I,
1: I get that. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's... I... My problem with it is that one thing about when you start an hour, especially during the days of vinyl, when you start a, a side A and a side B, I always feel like it should be something really exciting, that that is the lead-off track, and this to me just feels like a mid-track. It doesn't feel like that that heavy hitter that should start like, say on on "Screaming for Vengeance." You started off with "Screaming for Vengeance" on side B and and or side two, and this this is not as exciting. But that being said, if you're listening to it in CD or MP3 format, it doesn't really matter.
0: And you
1: can but I always kind of keep want. it in perspective of the time that it came out.
0: Right, you're exactly right. I, I I can see that point. I, I almost think that they probably could have switched Jawbreaker or Eat Me Alive. They could put Eat Me
1: Alive. I think would be a better. Well, like, Jawbreaker have- I think fits so well right after Free Will Burning that almost Eat Me Alive would be a better way to start this side.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, either one of those two, it, it would definitely eat me alive. That now that you look at it, because of the all the controversy between this, the, the side two, <laughs> uh, you just keep it that way. Um, yeah, if you would have flip flopped them, I think it would have been a better uh, continuity on the on the okay. songs. But nonetheless, this is where we're at. <laughs> it's a cool song. I like it. But it is definitely one of those slower plotting songs that comes along and, and it's not one of the greatest songs that they've written, but it definitely one that it attracted a lot of people um just because of of what people can say, you know love bites and all that stuff and it was it was it was cool back in the day, I guess you could say, but it definitely leads up to "Eat Me Alive," which is the song that really caused a lot of controversy that song. Uh, more than Love Bites and anything, basically made its way onto the PMRC's Filthy 15 back in the day. Uh, if anyone remembers the PMRC, that's the organization that D. Snyder went to Capitol Hill to fight against. Uh, basically, they wanted to you know, label every record. Uh, this is the reason why we have that parental advisory label on records that exist today. I think we're way beyond that. I think the label is, is stupid. I I thought the label was stupid back then, too. But nowadays, it's almost pointless.
1: Considering some of the songs that are making on on the pop radio now, it's a ridiculous concept.
0: Oh, absolutely. Quite honestly, for lack of a better term, and I don't want to get into politics about it, but this administration has let a lot of things slide, um, more so than than previous ones. And I'm not just talking about the last one. But, I mean, it's, it's built up over time. And it's amazing because... They talk about so much about wanting to ban things or wanting to, you know, you can't say this on television. Now it's like you can say almost anything you want except, you know, after like, you know, after nine o'clock or after 10 o'clock, whatever time it is. And if you're a cable channel and you're, you're, you're you know, you're putting on a show after nine o'clock, it's like it's a free for all. I mean, it's, it's almost to some, in, in some cases, I've seen some shows where it's almost like soft porn. And I'm like, seriously, this is what you know. We've what it's come to. But not that I'm, I disagree with it. But it's amazing how you know a song like this, which was just innuendo to begin with, and the only reason why this song got hit with the field, uh, on, got put on that list was because of the one line, "I'm gonna force you at gunpoint." You know, and and it was like that because it's a, it's a sexual encounter, and you know he says, "I'm gonna force you at gunpoint." Had that not been on the on the song that song would never have made the filthy 15 and
1: which is a little bit of innuendo as well oh yeah of you course. know so so you know it just depends on who's listening to it and how they're taking the song wow. and wow. obviously some people have less imagination than others
0: well you think about it tipper gore and and, and uh tipper gore and, and Algore, Gore. I and mean, when you see what how they are you can just tell that they're very mm-hmm. stuffy people. So, and I don't care if anybody likes likes my opinion about Al Gore and Tipper Gore. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, so I mean, this song, in comparison to to what comes out now, it's nothing, nothing at all. I mean, the Filthy Fifteen would be like a Filthy Fifteen Hundred, you know, on on a regular basis. <laughs> yes, because it's absolutely. it's way off mark that being said Eat Me Alive is a pretty cool song it's got a really quick pace to it it's up tempo it's got a really cool chug on it I like the way Rob has the vocal melody because the vocal melody makes this song realistically and the way
1: the way that the vocal melody is recorded too it sounds awesome
0: yes because musically there's nothing special about it it just chugs along but the vocal melody is what makes this song and and it's such a good song because of that Mm mhm All right, so then that brings us to song number seven, which is basically the song we were talking about previously. uh, It's another Bob Halligan Jr. song, Some Heads Are Gonna Roll. Again, when you sit there and you say, oh, what's the single from the album? Bing! This song, (laughs) this one stands out. And it's not necessarily the greatest single in the world. It's catchy. It's got a killer riff. But to me... It's it's not a great song. It's a single, but it's not a great Judas Priest song.
1: I mean, I don't think it's bad in comparison to some of the other ones we've talked about. I think it's probably better, but it's it's a little bit more brutal in, in tone than than some of the other ones, which is always a plus for me. There's two really nice guitar solos, one by Glenn and one by KK. You know, and I do like the guitar
0: I, solos on this.
1: Yeah, there's there's one other thing that I thought was really interesting that when I was reading about it today, um that apparently this song was also the inspiration for Into the Fire by Dokken. The the uh probably one of the few Dokken songs I actually like. So, and I can kind of see it now.
0: Really? I have mm-hmm. to look into that cuz that's kind of it, it's kind of weird to me.
1: Yeah, George Lynch actually said he ripped him off when he wrote it. <laughs> Okay. So I, th- I thought that was kind of funny.
0: Hey Bob, go look for George Lynch in California and go get your money.
1: <laughs> that brings <laughs> I think it was probably enough said about the song. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. So that brings us to uh, song number eight. Night comes down. All right. So what can I say about this song? This is Judas Priest's attempt at a crossover ballad. There's there's no other way around this. It's not a bad song but it's, it's not the kind of song that's going to get you that crossover appeal that I guess that they were trying to look for at the time. It's got a really cool riff right before the chorus. The chorus itself is all right. Uh, this is Judas Priest's version of a love song, and I think that's about as much as I can say about it because it really doesn't work for me in that context.
1: It, it's not one that I necessarily skip uh, when I'm listening to the album as a whole, but it's definitely not on my playlist, and... It's, yeah, it's, it's a ballad. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it, to be <laughs> honest. I have more to say about it than I have to say about the next track, Heavy Duty.
0: All right, well, Heavy Duty. All right, so so songs 9 and 10 are, are very similar to like Hel- 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 Helion Electric Eye. They, they go right into each other. There's no skip. There's no stop. Um, heavy Duty is an innuendo song about how heavy metal makes you feel. There's nothing really special about it. It's a slow sludge of a song, Uh, you know. Uh, It's
1: one of the like most of these songs. Like in two albums, we've talked about what 20 songs, and all of them I can remember. But for some reason, heavy duty is one that just always escapes me. If you tell me heavy duty, all I can think of is the Spinal Tap song.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's it's again it's there's nothing stand out about it i mean we, you and i were talking about defenders of the faith which is the song that that comes out of uh heavy duty i mean it literally the lyrics blend you know he, he talks about the chorus and he's like you know something about defending the faith and all of a sudden he goes into defenders of the faith and to me defenders of the faith we talked about you know it's an anthem but it it's pointless uh I it's would just pre-
1: an outro song. I mean, yeah. you said it's similar to Hellion. It is. It just has lyrics.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's anthemic, very similar to United uh, that's on British Steel. And I would prefer to listen to United than to this one, which you don't agree with me on that point. Which I, is- I
1: mean, my, my biggest uh, disagreement on that is at least Defenders of the Faith ends fast. You know? <laughs> united just drones on forever
0: true defenders is about a minute and a half and it's over with (laughs) all right so that brings us to which one we think is better than the other Uh, Chris go ahead and give us your opinion
1: so as much as I love the first half of uh, defenders of the faith I gotta go with screaming for vengeance I just think overall as a whole it's a better album i like the the rawness of it a little better there's just there's just more to enjoy i think as a whole you know you've got electric eye riding on the wind uh i i like take these chains off well enough i think uh screaming for vengeance is just definitely got to be the highlight um i mean you've got another thing coming I, i was a little down on it but i still enjoy it um Pain and Pleasure, Bloodstone, man, good stuff. Defenders of the Faith, that first half of the album, "Eat Me Alive," uh, some heads are gonna roll. I like, but there's there's just there's more to like I think on Screaming for Vengeance than there is on Defenders.
0: Wow, that, I, that's unexpected. I didn't think I was gonna hear you say that. For me, here's the funny thing. So when when uh, I, I started to listen to Defenders of the Faith. Uh, a long time ago, obviously, I, I, I've known it from the beginning. But um, last year, I started listening to it again because I was listening to the li- a lot of live albums. And so I would just play the whole album and let it go through. And I realized, man, there's a lot of good songs in this album, right? And then you listen to Screaming for Vengeance. And I almost sit there and say there's more good songs overall on Defenders than there are on Screaming for Vengeance. But at the same time, much like you said, the just the, the 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 cohesiveness and the the concept behind everything that's on screaming for vengeance to me lends itself to be a better album than defenders of the faith.
1: And so I mean it's a tough call. I I like both of them. Like I've said that first whole first al- half of the album uh pretty much until eat me alive I just adore. And then it just goes kind of downhill from there uh screaming for vengeance it's like there's there's such a good mix it's just a, such a really well balanced album it's not really till those last couple tracks where i'm like these are good but but as a whole i just think it's a little better
0: well there you have it we agree on screaming for vengeance from judas priest so that brings two, us
1: that's two weeks in a row we're in agreement
0: oh yeah because we had a uh, clay right yep yep okay yeah that's uh awesome we shouldn't be doing that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to our big four Judas Priest songs for this week. I went first last week because you wanted to hear what I had to say about uh, In Flames, so you're going to go ahead and go first this week.
1: All right, so for no- my number four, it's a track off of Angel of Retribution. Uh, it's one that I've really grown attached to over the last few years since that album came out, and that's Demonizer. It's, it's kind of a sequel to Painkiller and it's just a ripping track i love the way it opens um it's it's so heavy that i just you know i've really grown attached to it i i uh i know they have such a huge catalog of of songs that would be easy to add you know 50 more on this list but for me that's just one that i just really resonates with me uh for number three i've got the ripper off of sad wings of destiny um the first time I heard this track, I just fell in love with it. Uh, I love the, the, the concept behind it. You know, I love historical figures. I've, I've I've mentioned this you know so many times before. I love you know what what Rob does when he writes a song around a character rather than just a concept. And uh, the Ripper is just one of those like it's it's such a mysterious figure in history that we still today don't know who this you know Jack the Ripper was. And I mean, it really like that first moment when he says like you're in for a surprise and 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 it's just like uh, you're in for a shock and he hits that really high note. It it just shows his vocal range so well. And I just love it for number two. I've got Screaming for Vengeance. Uh, We discussed this earlier. It's just a heavy track and it's 1982. And I don't think there was anything quite as heavy in 1982. No. it's it's a badass track it's a great way uh to to start off things with the second half of that album and uh i think we said enough about it uh the first time we talked about it but really there's not enough you can say good about this song and for number one it probably comes as no surprise uh but painkiller uh painkiller is just my song when it comes to judas priest uh that opening that really killer uh Drum track, Scott Travis. When he was added to the band, he just he elevated them so much with his drumming. Exactly what you said earlier. Anything that was before had they had Scott Travis at that time, it would have been so much better. So I, I just, if you haven't listened to the Painkiller as a whole, like the whole album from beginning to end, it's incredible. Do yourself a favor.
0: I I agree with that assessment of Painkiller. It's a very good album. All right, so. There's so many Judas Priest songs to choose from that it's, it's it's it was very hard for me to narrow it down to these four songs. Now I don't have any any uh, honorable mentions. I have four songs, um, but you can almost lump them together. It, like I could probably put ten songs and interchange the ten songs as my top four or whatever because oh I know they're it's so, so close. And my, and my songs are, are it's weird because they're all from a kind of particular time period to, to some degree. Um, so much so that uh, when I originally did my list of, of the big four, it was going to be four songs off of two albums. And, and I was like, you know what? I, these songs are too close to, to, for me not to pick another song from another album. Uh, so that being said... Number four song for me is The Hellion Electric Eye. I count it as one song. I don't care what you say.
1: That's fair. <laughs>
0: um, we no, ta- it's fair.
1: They go together. Right. I mean, it, it, there's so many bands that they'll they'll have it as one track and they just put a slash between them. And I, it, I always felt like that would have been fine for those two songs.
0: Exactly. Um,. We, we said enough about it earlier. It's a, it's a killer song. Classic. Um, number three is the same as your number three, The Ripper off the Sad Wings of Destiny album. Much exactly like you were talking about it, just the, 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 the way he does the vocals on it, the screams. I mean, I used to... This and another song that comes next, I used to sing on the bus coming home from high school because my friend thought that I did a really killer version. This is back when my voice was a lot cleaner and younger and i can hit that note but yeah uh the ripper and number two and then off the same album victim of changes is my number two big four judas priest song i love that song just the how it builds into the the intro guitar and you know go builds in. you know it's that that almost kind of like um it's it's not but it's almost like a hammer-on uh, type of guitar solo that leads into the song and it goes into the, the chug and <clears throat> that chug that goes into it and then you know it, it, you get that nice medium kind of slow part that, that slows the song down and the song come, builds back up and Rob rips those vocals at the end I mean it's a killer song that, that the, the story that goes along with it up and down love mm-hmm. it, Rob talks a lot about love he's had a rough life <laughs> <laughs> You know, know, number one for me, this is going to be completely off the rails. Not a lot of people are going to guess this song is my number one. But from the point of entry album, Desert Plains, there's something about this song that I love from beginning to end. It might have to do with that drum beat that goes throughout the entire song. Super cool. I love the whole concept of that song. My favorite Judas Priest song, hands down. Wow. so there you okay. go fair enough so that closes out our show today Chris let them know what we're going to talk about next week
1: alright so next week is going to be a day of reckoning don't be guilty of sins of omission by missing the next episode we're going head to head with testament the new order versus practice what you preach it'll be nobody's fault if you're missing okay I'm reaching a little there with the Aerosmith cover uh, but tune in <laughs> next week always turn it up to 11.
0: See ya.